0: Well, my brothers and sisters, I've got a lot of competition because Father Mike Merritt, whom you've met last week, he tells me that he cannot preach a homily that's over eight minutes long. (sighs) You know, with Father Walter, I could just keep going on and on and on and on because he did that. So it looks like I'm going to have to take my 14 minute and 13 minute and 12 minute homilies and kind of oh push them back. Towards the ten and nine and eight minute mark, if I want to keep keep abreast with uh, Father Mike, otherwise you're going to start loving him and hating me. So I don't, I don't want that to happen. So today, my brothers and sisters, in our scripture readings, we've got a, a very nice selection, and uh, from Isaiah, our Psalm, and our Gospel all work together very well. And yet there's a certain tension in the midst of them. There's almost a kind of a paradox and contrast, if you will. Our gospel seems to be a little bit at tension with what Isaiah and the psalm are saying. There's a little bit of a paradox, and you'll understand what I mean as I I go on in my homily. Our gospel is meant to express in visual imagery, in visual terms, A certain kind of mystery. That mystery is how is it that some people respond to the preaching of the gospel and to the word of God and others don't. Why is that? So it's it's a mystery and Jesus is expressing that mystery to us in visual terms. And the moral of the story is that the difference between the two different groups, those who respond to the word of God and those who don't, it lies not with the word of God, but it lies with the heart that receives it, with the ears that hear it. And so we have a couple of things going on with the people who fail to respond to the word of God. There's a problem at the level of the intellect or the mind, and there's a problem at the level of the heart or the will. So we see the first case of the seed that falls on the path says they don't understand it. And the devil comes and, and makes them forget. Because it, it never clicked. A light bulb never went on. So there was a, some kind of failure of the minds to really connect with it at a, at a mental level. And then you have the other scenario, the two other scenarios, where the soil is rocky. And it's, it's superficial. There's not a lot of soil there. It's, these people are not very deep. They don't have deep character. And so what happens is they might think that the the gospel sounds really good and they they do respond to it initially, but the response is a superficial response. And uh, they're lacking fortitude and perseverance. And so on the first moment of any kind of hardship or tribulation that comes, they fall away. And my brothers and sisters, uh, if you don't think that you're going to follow Jesus, and and you're going to and you're not going to. If you think that you're not going to encounter hardship, well, you're not living on the same planet I'm living on. Okay, so it is inevitable. If you want to follow Jesus, you will meet hardship. Period. Okay, so there's that forward suit that's that's necessary. And then you've got the other people. The they've got seems like they got good soil, but their problem is there's competition. Okay, And that's that's the thorns that grow up and they choke the word. And so what we're looking at there are creature comforts and worries and concerns about material things and worldly issues and wealth and riches and whatnot. So if you notice the two different kinds of temptations, on the one hand you've got a temptation that is meant to kind of scare you. And the virtue that you need to face that temptation is fortitude. On the other hand, you've got not pain and suffering, but you've got pleasure and comfort, okay, which can be just as bad as pain and suffering in terms of leading one astray from the right path. And so the virtue that you need to face that type of temptation is what we call temperance, okay? self-control. It moderates the use of things, of material things that give us pleasure. And comfort. So both of those virtues, courage and temperance are necessary. And it's because the people were lacking those virtues that the Word of God didn't find room in them. So the parable and the gospel in general in a certain sense are almost like a downer. Jesus is talking about, you know, people who don't respond. Now he does conclude with a kind of a happy story. You know, there are people that Receive the word and they're fruitful, hundred fold, sixty fold, thirty fold. But it still leaves us asking the question, what's the difference between those two groups? What's the difference between the people with the bad soil and the people with the good soil? Is there some kind of technique that we can employ to make sure that we're the people with the good soil? Is there some kind of pro tip or something? It, you know, there's really not. There's really not. There's not a technique. And that's what brings us to our other readings from Isaiah and from our psalm. That soil, the difference between the one and the other, you know what the difference is? It's not a technique. The difference is God. God is the one who prepares the land. He's the one who sends the rain. He's the one that breaks up the clods. It's God. And I, I emphasize this a lot in my daily homilies. My brothers and sisters... We cannot, simply stated, we cannot pull ourselves up by our own spiritual bootstraps, okay, and make ourselves be converted. It is the grace of God that transforms us from the inside out. It's His doing, it's His power, it's He's responsible for our conversion. And so my brothers and sisters, you know, this past week I had three Funerals, and I had two graveside services. I didn't have a lot of time to prepare this homily, but what I did, instead of doing hours of preparation, is I prayed this morning, and and as well for forty-five minutes, I prayed a simple prayer. Oh God, give me good soil. Make my heart good soil. Break up the hardness and the clods and the rocks. Pull the weeds that choke. Your word, so that I would be receptive to your gospel. I pray for the people who hear me preach today. I pray that you would give them new hearts, that you from the innermost recesses of their very being would transform and change them, give them new wills so that they would be receptive and inspire them. To pray every day for the grace of conversion. My brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, all we have is prayer. And every day, we need to pray for the grace of conversion. It's not, as St. Paul says in the book of Romans, given to the one who wills or the one who runs. But it has to do with God. It is His power. It is His power and His grace that's not merited, but is given to us by His mercy. And so prayer is the only thing. It's the only thing. And if you were to spend three hours a day asking God for the grace of conversion, it would not be time wasted. It would not be time wasted. Moreover, my brothers and sisters... And I very much encourage you and try, you know, pray. If you pray, that itself is a gift of God. That itself is an inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what I leave you with today. Very, very simple message. We need to pray for the grace of conversion. So that the seed of the Word of God would find room in our hearts so that we would be fruitful. Thirty-fold, sixty-fold, or a hundredfold.